Can you read that, Grandpa? <laughs> yeah, thanks for putting it in 45 font. Who says this? Nick Fury does. Okay. But mi- probably best not to do it. I'm not. I'm not. I just need to get... <laughs> this woman to watch movies and do you take this man to talk about them i now pronounce you a podcast welcome everyone to another episode of wife watches i'm your host jason and joining me as always she's just been spit out of a wormhole she's glistening with sweat she can't stop chewing the scenery it's my wife courtney hello everybody This is a podcast where I show Courtney culturally significant movies that she's missed. And this is one of them. Yeah. How you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How many hours of Animal Crossing have you played? Oh, gosh. I would say on average about two hours a day. Tell me one thing that's been happening. In Animal Crossing? Yep. Okay, so my most recent thing that I've been trying to do is build these homes for visitors who come to my island. And you have to gather all of this stuff to put furniture into their house before it can be built. Oh, I should check tonight. Remind me to check in. Okay. Because I have to check to see if my homes are built. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, fun. (laughs) Yeah. The raccoon is still on my ass. I haven't paid him back yet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's what's happening. Okay, that's great. Courtney. Yes. What movie are we going to watch tonight? We are watching The Avengers 1. The Avengers. The first Avengers. Is it just called The Avengers? Yeah. Okay, we're watching The Avengers. Whoa. Sorry. We're watching The Avengers. Have you seen this movie before? I think so, but I am not sure. Okay. If I saw it, it was on Old Main Hill Welcome Week 2012. Oh, yep. I was there. Yeah. Yep, they did show that. Yep, I was there. Okay. And I think I might have shown you parts of this movie yeah what is your relationship to comic book movies before you was like oh i'll watch it if everyone else is watching it i guess but i'll be on my phone if like top of your head what would you say if someone was like what have you seen what would you just throw out spider-man uh iron man i saw one captain america i saw the first captain america in theaters okay i don't know why oh i've seen thor as well the first one with natalie portman okay natalie thorman that was so dumb. Did you like them? Like, what did you yeah, think Yeah, I liked I, I love Spider-Man. I've always liked like Spider-Man. The Tobey Maguire ones, and more importantly, the Andrew Garfield ones. Okay, but you did like the Tobey Maguire ones? Yeah. Oh, did okay. I see the first, did I see the first Spider-Man with um, Tom Holland with you? No. Okay, then I, but I did see that on my own. But I, d- I love the Andrew Garfield ones. I took a picture of Gwen Stacy. I took a picture of Emma... Stone Stone. as Gwen Stacy to Mm -hmm. my hairdresser in 2013 or 2012. When did that come out? 2012 and 2014 was the sequel. There's two of them. Okay, then it was 2012. Okay, so you were you you didn't dislike them, but you were. I like the spider. I would say Spider Man is like. Okay. Those were my favorite. But like ambivalent, maybe. Towards every other one, yeah. Were you aware that they were a big deal? At least that they were yes. culturally like having a moment? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I would say comic book movies are the genre of our time in the way that Westerns were in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Yeah, I knew they were important to people. So why didn't you see the Avengers? I just, I didn't care enough about them. Well, I think I'm done with those. Little did I know I'd only begun. I started seeing them in theaters. I didn't make you. That's, I just want that to be clear. No, no. You didn't make me. Yeah, you've actually liked everyone that we've gone to. 
I know, that's Even why... more than me. There are some that we've seen in theaters that I thought were like, okay. Yeah, no, I was thinking into the Spider-Verse. Okay, that was the first one we saw. Yeah. Did you like that? I loved that movie. Well, did that one like kind of turn you around? Yeah, maybe. Because I remember before I met you seeing the, I saw the trailer for it. And I think I was with my sister and we were like, meh. In your defense, I thought it was kind of a dumb premise. Um, it's not. No, that movie is that movie incredible. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Why are you here now willing to watch these? Besides that we're doing a podcast about it. Well, I think this, you told me about like, you really put a lot of time and effort into helping me understand their character arcs and the emotional ties. I just got attached to the characters. And you did that by showing me little clips every once in a while, preparing me for last May where we went to see Endgame. Mm -hmm. So you prepared me, which was really helpful. And then I was able to watch Endgame and like feel strongly for those characters. I feel like you followed every plot line in that movie. Yeah. There was only one point in that movie where I had to turn over to you and explain who someone was. Oh, and it yeah. was a side character from Doctor Strange. Yeah, the bald girl. Avatar, the last airbender. That's right. <laughs> I don't even know who Avatar is. That was good. No, you were like, that's spot on. I'm really impressed. I know nothing about Avatar. We watched the most from Avengers Age of Ultron. And I didn't want to get, I had to do something that day and I like didn't want to stop watching it. Yeah. And we watched it on the floor. We watched probably like, I mean, you fast forwarded through a lot of it. To just show me, like, the high points. But, I would like, say we watched 80% of that movie. Yeah, I loved that movie. Wow. Well, <laughs> I love Age of Ultron. That's what we're watching next week. <laughs> I know. Yeah, This. so we're kind of cheating a little bit because you know exactly how all these stories end. And right. you've seen a bunch of the key scenes that I was showing to you so that you could narratively follow what was happening when we watched before we saw Endgame. Well, we really were doing this because we thought Black Widow was coming out in a couple weeks. Yeah. But we decided to do it anyway because... April and May time is just Marvel time of the year now because they always stake out that first weekend in May. There's always a Marvel movie coming out, so we thought it would be fitting anyway to just go through the mainline Avengers movies along with Captain America Civil War, which is essentially a, an Avengers movie. Yeah, where does that one fall? In between Age of Ultron and Infinity War. Okay. So effectively we're watching five Avengers movies. Yeah. We're not watching the breadth of all of the Marvel movies because it would literally take us half a year to watch them week to week. What I wanted to do was to give you a little bit of the background of Avengers, the movie, but also kind of tell you about the the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's humble beginnings and kind of give you a little brief rundown of all the movies that were leading up to the first Avengers. I would like to make a note before okay. we start this. This is... I would say, aside from Star Wars, your favorite franchise. Yeah. You love the Marvel superhero movies. In fact, last year was a weird year for me because I knew that Endgame and Rise of Skywalker were both coming out that year. And after those two movies were done, there probably wouldn't be a real reason for me to ever go to a midnight showing. And I just kind of was, I'm glad that I was aware of like, something's ending this year. Like yeah. two key franchises of characters that meant a lot to me growing up are kind of ending this year. Yeah. I feel like I say this a lot and I don't want people to be like, oh, you just like what he likes. Yeah, chame that's, a chameleon dater. That's not who I am. No. But, I, I couldn't have talked to you into liking these. No. It was the, it was, you know that like my tie to move, but I've like communicated to you on what I find important in a movie. Yeah. You 
found a way to make me connect with that, which I think is very unique. You did it with Star Wars too. Well, it's well, and it's not just me. It's like everyone connects to like what they can feel. But that was like something I wouldn't have gone to the theater. I just wouldn't have gotten that far. Well, I knew that you would like it to some extent because movies like this don't get as big or as popular as they are. Yeah. Without some kind of emotional connection between what's going on. These are the most successful and broadly appealing pieces of entertainment. Yeah. Which we talked about with Star Wars too. Yeah. It's not like... It's not really nerd, like nerd culture. No, you get it's really just... annoyed when people say, "I'm such a nerd." Oh my gosh! Yeah. I love Marvel. I'm such a nerd. Yeah, you're in love with the most popular piece of like iconography in the world right now. <laughs> this is also, I think, kind of fitting because there were so many people that walked into that first Avengers movie having no idea, having not seen any of the prior movies in the series. Because at the time, it was still kind of like a, a rare concept that you would need to watch a bunch of different movies to like of different franchises that would funnel into a different movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's 23 movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're broken up into like three segments. This is titled like Phase One, which culminates in the first Avengers movie. Okay. As of now, those 23 movies have grossed $22.5 billion dollars. I can't even imagine what kind of money that is. They have had the biggest impact on filmmaking and pop culture, probably second only to Star Wars. It's weird because it's like this odd marriage between art and commercialism, and it is rampant throughout the whole thing. So I picked up a couple of key details from each of these movies I thought you would find particularly interesting, but I also just kind of wanted to give you like a really quick recap of what happens in the movie leading up so you know where all the pieces are leading up to this first movie. That's awful. Okay, in the 90s, Marvel Comics was going bankrupt. They sold off the film rights to a lot of their characters to stave off bankruptcy. And they were kind of picked up by a bunch of different studios. X-Men, Fantastic Four, Daredevil, over with 20th Century Fox. Sony bought Spider-Man. Those were like the big, big names. Universal bought Hulk. So a bunch of these characters were all kind of like shuttered out to these different companies who kept trying to make these movies. The biggest hit was 2002 Spider-Man, the first one with Tobey Maguire. That one really solidified like these movies, like CGI was finally in a place where it looked good and you could really do something like really cool on screen and bring these characters to life. You can make so much money with these superhero movies now. Everyone just tried to like jump into the game and they made tons of movies of pretty varying quality. When they first sold off the rights, the way that they kind of structured the deal for a lot of them was if the film studio wasn't doing something with the film rights actively after so many years, they would revert back to Marvel. That's why they even made the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie was because they had to make a Spider-Man movie or the rights would go back to Marvel. Because that one's not the best, right? I've seen that one. It has its fans. I don't love... Your the... favorite one is Spider-Man too. Oh my gosh. I don't love the Andrew Garfield characterizations. But some people, some people like them. It's a lot of there are a lot of B and C list heroes. It's funny to call them this now, but there was a point not long ago where Iron Man and Captain America, no one knew who the hell they were, and they just were not popular. Popular comic book characters for like the last 30, 40 years was like Spider Man, Wolverine, the Hulk, Batman. That's DC. I know. Enter Kevin Feige. Have you heard that name before? I have. What do you know about Kevin Feige? Uh, CEO of Disney. No, that's Bob Iger. Kevin Feige is Marvel. Yes. So Kevin Feige was a film producer. He'd been involved with a lot of different like comic book adaptations at that time. Like He was actually involved with the very first X-Men movie. 
He was like an assistant to Lauren Schuler Donner, who was one of the producers on that movie. So he's been very much involved with how superheroes in cinema has kind of evolved at this point. So he says, this is like in the mid 2000s, he talks to Avi Arad, who I personally kind of don't like at all, but he was involved with Spider-Man and some like those movies and adaptations. And he talks to Ike Perlmutter, who I'll, I'll talk more about him like in future podcasts, but I, that guy's, that guy's really weird. He's like a, a Hollywood producer. He's known for like cutting costs and like being like notoriously stringent with budgets. And he apparently has only had like one photograph ever taken of him in the last like 30 years. Ike Perlmutter is a weird guy. <laughs> Kevin Feige gets these guys together and he's like, here's what we should do. Create our own studio, Marvel Studios. And we take all of the characters that are currently have their had their rights reverted back to us. And we make a film slate of all of these superheroes, like leading into a team up Avengers movie. And at the time, they had the rights to like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Ant-Man, characters that we know now that are incredibly popular because of the MCU. But at the time, an Ant-Man movie, you know what I mean? Like yeah. no one knew who these characters were. Kevin Feige is a genius. The reason why he wanted to have their own studio was so they would have creative control, complete creative control over what to do with the characters because that was something that people were really criticizing from some of these other superhero movies coming out in the early aughts. They would change certain aspects of the character or their origins and they just people just kind of hated some of these adaptations. He just had a hunch that if you leaned into like the comic accurate weirdness of the character, audiences would want that and they wouldn't he was very right <laughs> he is just a genius like he also like foresaw the potential of having all of these different comic book characters having their own franchises and then grouping up into these giant team-up movies which is how the comics operate he's also been fighting for like a black widow movie for a long time apparently he wanted to do a black widow movie like 10 years ago he's also been trying to make a black panther movie for a long time and it's just fighting these studio these other studio executives he's had the foresight to know like if we make a action movie with a female lead it will be successful or if we have a black lead it will be successful all of the things that he has been saying the entire time will work end up working captain marvel made over a billion dollars oh my god black panther is the highest grossing movie in the united states in 2018 and next year they're doing the first asian-led superhero movie oh, yeah. with shang chi History is proving Kevin Feige right. Okay, so we got Avi Arad and Ike Perlmutter. They were able to get a billion dollar loan from Merrill Lynch. Holy crap. With the movie rights that they owned as collateral. And there was like a five movie deal. Basically, if, if any of these movies bombed from the get-go, they lose the rights. That's something that always is so fascinating to me because it's such like a bankable like brand now. Like everyone knows that an Avengers movie or a certain Marvel movie is just going to make billions of dollars. But it was a huge, huge risk what they were doing. So the first one they put up was the first Iron Man. So you said you've seen that, right? Yeah. There had been attempts to make an Iron Man movie throughout like the 90s, early 2000s. I remember these rumors going around of like studios wanting Nicolas Cage or Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh. Very different, right? Could you think of anyone who could possibly be in that role other than Robert Downey Jr.? What about Jeff Goldblum? No. Really? Why not? He doesn't have the right energy for it. They had a problem with no one knowing who Iron Man was. To build the general public's awareness of who Iron Man was, Marvel conducted focus groups to remove the perception that he was a robot. And they created an awareness building plan. This is like, this is such weird, like corporate speak bullshit too. Of like, But isn't that like, you think about the job that you do every day and you're like, what if I could just like, what if this was my research? That would, that would be incredible. <laughs> I know. 
They got John Favreau to direct. Favreau really fought for Robert Downey Jr.'s casting because the at the time he was kind of like trying to make a comeback, but he had this big stint with like drugs and spent some time in prison. He had to really fight for to get him cast. They paid him five hundred thousand dollars for the first movie. <laughs> That's insane. Favreau really wanted him because he thought uh, Robert Downey Jr. could convincingly play a likable asshole. And he said, The best and worst moments of Robert's life have been in the public eye. He had to find an inner balance to overcome obstacles went far beyond his career, and that's Tony Stark. I, I can't think of a better casting. He is perfect for that. And that was like the key ingredient for why that movie, I think, was so successful. He is in, he's so good in that movie. The script kind of wasn't really finished, so they improvised a lot, which helped. Well, he's very good at it, too. Probably the, one of the most consequential ad-libs that he did was at the end scene when he's doing the press conference and he's reading the cards to the reporters and he says, I'm sorry, so. Mr. Stark, but do you honestly expect us to believe that that was a bodyguard in a suit? that conveniently appeared, despite the fact that- I know that it's confusing. It is one thing to question the official story and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I so, never said I mean, you were a superhero. Didn't? Mm -mm. Well, good, because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. I, I, I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I've made, largely, public. The truth is, I am Iron Man. <laughs> they came up with that on the day. He's like, what if that's how we end the movie was saying, I'm Iron Man. Wow. It's kind of not really a thing anymore because the Marvel movies have sort of done away with this importance, but superheroes having secret identities was like a staple of the genre. Yeah. So they've turned that on its head. I saw this. I was 18 years old. There's a MySpace joke in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> That's how old that movie is. It was incredible. I loved every minute of this movie. It was so funny. It was so clever and just kind of upended all these like little genre tropes. It could have so easily been such a generic movie and it just wasn't because of how funny the script was and how genuinely captivating Robert Downey Jr. is. Iron Man made $585 million off a $140 million budget. It is 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man both became like A-listers overnight. The best and worst aspects of the Marvel formula were kind of cemented in this movie. This like good aspects focus on a main character and their flaws. Uh, bad aspects that some sometimes comes at the expense of a compelling or interesting villain. And sometimes the third act suffers for it because you're so much more invested in like who the main character is and like that's where your emotional connection is that usually the end of the movie just kind of ends with like kind of a generic fight that's kind of boring. And they're very quippy and witty. But that formula kind of stays true through a lot of the Marvel movies. Yeah. Iron Man also had a end credit stinger where Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury shows up. The stinger's like 30 seconds long. He basically just, he's in Iron Man's living room and he turns around and says, You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Who the hell are you? Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. It's funny to think about now how like insane that is, but the idea that you could have interconnected movies 
And that you, I remember that you stayed after for that. I don't know if I've ever if I ever saw that, but when I knew that they were doing an Avengers movie, I remember just being like, "That's weird." You just didn't see characters crossing over in other yeah. franchises, and so I, I remember being in the theaters and thinking, "Like, holy shit! I can't believe they're going to do this," and being so excited. That also changed everything too. Where like basically everything has a post credits scene to the point now that it's like. If you're sitting in a movie theater and, and people are getting up before the credits are over, aren't you just kind of like, where the hell are you going, man? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? There's like two minutes of the movie left. Yeah. It's weird to think how different film in general would be if this movie wasn't a success. This is exactly why I think you're the best person to talk about this. Oh, he's so pleased. No, this is why this is a good topic because I was not the audience for this movie, but everything that you've just said is like so interesting. It makes you want, like you talk about it in a way that makes people want to find out more, if that makes sense. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. You're welcome. But you like, that's why these are so successful too, because I mean, people like you created them. They had such a passion for it. They just continued it and it blew up. It's amazing. And the way that you talk about it in relation to the rest of film and what it did for film, I never would have even thought about that until you explained it to me. Anyway. Well, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. You're so welcome. Well, I hope I... that people like are listening to this thinking like, oh, I never would have thought about that, but I want to learn more because that's how I was. I hope so because yeah. it's crazy how much these films have changed culture. Everything, yeah. Yeah. I have something to say about Iron Man. Okay. I, I don't know if you'll want to take this out. Sure. The first sex stream I ever had was about Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Okay, I was watching so much of um, Only You, where they're in Italy. I watched it so many times in a row that I started having dreams about it. Oh, and they're a little sexy. <laughs> I'm not going to go into my sex dream. All right. Think does, it about kinda, that. does it kind of feel like we're now like a late night radio show where yeah, like people no. call in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so funny because... Robert Downey Jr. You know what's funny about that is we have both talked about how he looks so much, he is much more handsome in his older age than when yes, he was younger. Yes, he ages perfectly. Yeah. But there's also just something so charming about him young. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. He's not as handsome as he is now, but he's like just, he's just charms the hell out of you. He honestly looked his best at this point, like Iron Man 1 and 2. Like a little salt and peppery. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, I wanted to share that with the world. Wow. We reveal so much about ourselves. I know. <laughs> I told everyone that I, I had a crush on a Care Bear. <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't say that. You had feelings for a Care Bear. I had strong feelings. I didn't... Yeah, I didn't romantic you, feelings. Yeah, well, I didn't understand them at the time, mm -hmm. what my feelings meant. Well, you like Care Bears. Yeah. I like Robert Downey Jr. Teach their own, I guess. Yeah, I guess. All right, well, I don't really need to tell you much about what happens in Iron Man. Some key things, right? Story-wise, going into Avengers. Tony Stark, shrapnel in his heart, right? Uh-huh. Builds the Iron Man suit to escape from his captors in the Middle East. The suit is powered by the arc reactor that is also keeping him alive. It's keeping the shrapnel from entering his heart. He has uh, his girl Friday, Will They, Won't They, with Pepper Potts. Played by Gwen... Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. I yes. almost said Gwen Stefani. That would have been quite a different movie. End of the movie, he reveals his identity. I am Iron Man. Nick Fury shows up, introduces him to a larger world, quote-unquote, Okay. You're also introduced to S.H.I.E.L.D. because Nick Fury is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. And Clark Gregg makes his first appearance as 
Phil Coulson, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first Is Iron that Man. the guy from 500 Days of Summer? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Weirdly enough, a month later, after Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk comes out. Oh, the with, one I loved? With Edward Norton? Yeah, I saw that like three times in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that! What? Uh-huh, I did. That's I, I, I totally forgot about that. I saw it like twice in theaters and once at the drive-thru. You loved it? I loved it. What did you love about it? I don't remember. I went with my cousins like over and over and over again. We loved it. Most people argue between that and the second Thor if it's the worst movie <laughs> in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> I love... I think maybe I loved Liv Tyler in it. She's in it, yeah. I loved it. I don't know what it was about that. I think it gets more hate than it deserves, but it's just pretty much, it's just pretty whatever of a movie. Ultimately, there's been two solo Hulk movies. They made one with Eric Bana in the early 2000s. I don't even remember that one. It's whatever. It, it's very weird. It's very Eric, out there. Eric Bana. I know. And Jennifer Connelly plays Liv Tyler's character. Oh, I can't with her. You don't like Jennifer Connelly? I don't. Except for in one movie. Labyrinth. Yes. Well, that is... That is a shocker. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. I did see that one multiple times in theaters. Okay, so Marvel has kind of a weird... <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Marvel technically shares the rights to Hulk with Universal. Marvel can use the Hulk in any movie that's not a Hulk movie, but a solo Hulk movie has to be made in conjunction with Universal. Okay. It is likely we'll never get a Hulk movie ever again. Like solo Hulk that's, movie. That's okay, because we've already got one perfect one pretty pleased with that joke oh my gosh <laughs> they're a pain in the ass to make because they have to make them with another studio and they don't make money the incredible hulk is the lowest grossing of the mcu movies it made 264 million has 67 percent rotten tomatoes uh, i think most people just even forget this is a part of the franchise because edward norton plays the hulk and he's later recast with mark ruffalo edward norton is notoriously difficult yeah have you heard this yeah he's an asshole okay he was angry with how the final edit of the movie went with Marvel, so he refused to promote the movie. <laughs> and then I That's thought you, weird. I thought you might like this little back and forth. Leading up to the first Avengers movie, Kevin Feige put out a statement that said this. We have made the decision to not bring Edward Norton back for the title role of Bruce Banner in the Avengers. Our decision is definitely not based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. Oh man, that's that's a lot. That If somebody said that about me, I'd be like very embarrassed. Well, so in response, Norton's agent called Feige's statement purposefully misleading and an inappropriate attempt to paint our client in a negative light. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Edward Norton later said it was his decision to never play the Hulk again because he, quote, wanted more diversity with his career. Who do you believe? I think they definitely fired him because he was an asshole. Yeah, that's what we think. Basically, that's it. The only thing you really need to know about that movie is the Hulk exists. Great. And there's an after credit scene that Robert Downey Jr. showed up in, which was the only thing I remembered from seeing it. Iron Man 1 is a huge hit. They fast track a sequel, right? In the meantime, while they have Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America in process of production, Disney buys Marvel. It's like Disney's baby now. They hired Justin Thoreau to write Iron Man 2. John Favreau, yeah. Wow. John Favreau came back to direct. Scarlett Johansson was cast as Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. Originally, Emily Blunt was cast. She had to drop out due to previous commitments to... Don't tell me. I want to guess. Okay. Five-year engagement? Nope. Sadder. Oh, gosh. I actually don't know. Want me to tell you? 
No, but yeah. Gulliver's Travels. Ah! Oh, that hurts. I don't even... I never would have gotten that. Oh, that is... Mm. Oh. I know. Emily. I know. I know. She's like, I can't. I... Gulliver's Travels. In those situations, if she was like offered that role and she had already signed a contract, could she have gotten out of it? I mean, it would have sued her probably. But she would have made enough money that it would have just like worked out. You don't know that at the time. We didn't, We do know that now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she would have been fine. Yeah. I do have to say this. I love Scarlett Johansson so much. And I did not used to. And it was this character that turned it around. A hundred percent. Yeah. I did not used to like her. And now I do. Yeah. Uh, ironically enough, her character is pretty kind of a nothing empty character in Iron Man 2. And only through different movies. I don't know that I've seen Iron Man 2. It's perfectly fine. People shit on it a lot. It mostly only is held together because of the charisma of the cast. Like Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle. Sam Rockwell is incredible. Claridge high-tech semi-automatic 9mm pistol. Two downtown. I agree. M24 shotgun, pump action, five round magazine. You know what, you're not a hunter. What am I talking about? I'm getting rid of it. This is the FN 2000 from Belgium. It do make something better than waffles. It's beautiful, but I can tell this isn't disco enough for you, so I'm gonna put it right here. We're looking at a Milcore 40 millimeter grenade launcher. Tear gas, smoke, hippie control. You're tough. Let me tell you something, size does matter. Don't let anyone tell you different. These are the Cubans, baby. These are the Cohibas, the Monte Cristos. It's capable of busting the bunker under the bunker you just busted. If it were any smarter, they'd write a book. A book that would make Ulysses look like it was written in crayon. And it would read it to you. And it's capable of reducing the population of any standing structure to zero. I call it the ex-wife. That's the best I got. Are you gonna do this? Give me something here. You're like a sphinx. I, I, I can't read you. James Rhodes, War Machine, right? Iron Man's best friend. Terrence Howard played him in the first Iron Man movie. He was technically the first person cast in the first Iron Man movie. They ended up like paying him a lot. He was paid more than Robert Jenny Jr. was. Favreau and Justin Thoreau wanted to reduce his role in the second movie. And so Marvel came to Howard to lower his salary from what he got in the first movie. <laughs> So Howard stated that going into the film, the studio offered him far less than what was in his original contract, a claiming that they told him the second will be successful with or without you. And without mentioning him by name, said that Robert Downey Jr. took the money that was supposed to go to him and pushed him out. Whoa. Strong words. Ultimately, Terrence Howard left. They went with Don Cheadle, who apparently only had a few hours to accept the role. <laughs> and I also found out that Don Cheadle thought Iron Man was a robot before the first movie came out. <laughs> Iron Man 2 was the first movie I saw coming back from my mission, and I fell asleep in theaters. Wow. The only real things you need to know about that story-wise are Natasha Romanoff is Black Widow, and she works for S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury. Tony Stark and Pepper Potts start dating. Got it? Got it. Oh, and James Rhodes becomes War Machine. Two more movies going up to the Avengers. Thor. Have you seen the first Thor? Yes. Did you like it? No, I didn't like it. I also don't really like it. Guillermo del Toro Guillermo? was Guillermo approached del Toro was approached to direct this film. Didn't he? No, I know what you're gonna say. What am I gonna say? You're gonna bring up the fish. <laughs> oh, you mean your favorite movie, The Shape of Water, which won Best Picture? 
and won him Best Director. Yeah, my favorite movie. He turned down Thor to direct The Hobbit, which he ended up not even directing. They brought in Kenneth Branagh to direct it. I love Kenneth Branagh. Did you know he directed Thor? No. He has that Shakespearean background, so it was like a pretty good match on paper. I don't know. I like Kenneth Branagh. I love him. Daniel Craig was first offered the role of Thor, but turned it down. Commitments to James Bond. That was a good... That was fine. They decided on Chris Hemsworth to play Thor after a back and forth process in which the 25-year-old Hemsworth was initially... 25? Yep. Holy crap. He was initially dropped, but then they decided to give him a second chance to come in and read the script. Whoa. Yep. You know something? I've never thought that he was that good looking. I've never thought the Hemsworth brothers were that cute. Apparently Liam Hemsworth also auditioned for Thor. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I said, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston also auditioned for Thor. I did know that one. It would have been weird. I mean, I guess anyone can bulk up and get really buff, but it's... But he's got such a, like... He's so lithe. He, yeah, he's just... He's sallow, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's it, nothing hard about him. Agreed. It's funny to think back and look at all these, like, who almost could have been these characters because they seem so inextricably tied to the people they ended up getting cast. Mm -hmm. Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth seem... That's, like, fantastic casting for those characters. Did you ever read the Thor comic book i wasn't into thor i didn't really like him i was kind of bored by his whole his whole shtick got it in fact when i knew they were making a thor movie i kind of was like uh all right because it's weird if you think about it he's a norse god yeah, yeah technically inside the marvel cinematic universe the norse mythology technically is real yeah thor was fine it made 449 million dollars 77 percent rotten tomatoes jeremy renner shows up for like 30 seconds as hawkeye this was my first 3D screening of a movie on accident. Oh. I went and saw it at midnight and uh, it was Brandon Fonda, actually. Oh my gosh. You saw that at midnight and it was 3D? They accidentally bought 3D tickets. Oh. You know, it wasn't bad. It was distracting, but I remember thinking- I'm sure it was bad. I remember thinking like, oh, these visuals are pretty- Like, it was more just- It really took me out of the movie because I was very much aware of what was happening. I didn't mind it. This was- the time of 3D, of 3D movies. Yeah. I, remember, I think it was around the same time, like 2010-ish. Yeah. I remember every trailer for a movie at the end was like, see it in 3D. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Story takeaways from this movie. Thor and Loki are brothers. Thor's an asshole. He gets banished to Earth because Loki betrays him and kind of frames him a little bit. On Earth, Thor meets Jane Foster, Natalie Portman, astrophysicist. Falls in love. He becomes worthy again to be Thor and have the power and lift the hammer. He goes back, rescues his city, and Loki falls through a wormhole. Last movie, Captain America, the first Avenger. It's on theaters. Directed by Joe Johnston, who directed October Sky. Oh. He also did a lot of work with the original Star Wars trilogy, and he is the person who created the look for Boba Fett. Fascinating. Isn't that weird? Yeah, he's got quite a diverse repertoire. Sebastian Stan auditioned for Captain America. Who I enjoy. But they liked him, so they cast him as Bucky Barnes, uh, Steve Rogers' best friend. Ryan Philip, Philippe? Philippe. Huh. He and Do you know who he was famously married to? Who? Reese Witherspoon. Get out of here. Yeah, those are kid, her kids. Three, t Two of them. Deacon and Ava are Ryan Philippe's kids. He was in the top three. Mm -mm -mm. John Krasinski mm -hmm. also. We've, they've talked a lot about that. Isn't that crazy? John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Both up for major Would have been great. Well, and they, people have talked a lot about how they should be cast as Reed Richards and Sue Storm of the Fantastic Four, which I also think. Chris Evans was the one that they wanted to be Captain America. Great choice. Right? Yeah. He was reluctant. He declined three times. He said, I was just scared. I realized my whole decision-making process was fear-based, and you never want to make a decision out of fear. I can't believe I was almost too chicken to play Captain America. They paid him $300,000. <laughs> 
I love Chris Evans. One of my favorite celebrity pairings, Chris Evans and uh, Jenny Slate. Oh. I loved them together. You didn't. I don't love it. It's fine. I love Jenny Slate and I love him and I love them together. That's, I, think that's, I think they have great chemistry. Yeah, I'm happy for you. I think it's okay. great. I thought you might enjoy this. For a large chunk of that movie, it's a really like skinny, tiny Steve Rogers before he gets a super soldier serum. Uh-huh. They had two techniques. One was called digital plastic surgery, where they would just shrink Chris Evans in all dimensions. So this is the director talking. He said, we shot each skinny Steve scene at least four times. Once with a normal scene with Chris and his fellow actors. They shot it a second time with Chris alone in front of a green screen so his element could be reduced digitally. They shot it again with everyone in the scene except for Chris so that the shrunken Steve could be reinserted into the scene. And then finally a fourth time with a body double mimicking Chris's actions in case the second technique was required. Does that sound like such a pain in the ass? It sounds like such a waste of money. So the second technique they used was they digitally put Chris's head onto a body double who was very, very small. That movie made $370 million. It's 80% Rotten Tomatoes. I saw it summer 2011 and I remember thinking it was pretty good. The structure is a little weird, but I remember spending most of the movie trying not to get choked up because of how patriotic patri how damn patriotic well, it was like it was very greatest generation stuff and the ending just really like connected with me too yeah it's so sad i saw it in the summer of 2011 as well get out of here i did i had just said goodbye to a missionary so i continued <laughs> to write story takeaways steve rogers 1940s gets the super soldier stone <clears throat> spit on me he gets the super soldier serum, becomes Captain America. The Red Skull, who's like the Nazis. He has like his own Nazi division called Hydra. They Hydra. have they have this cube that he found that's really powerful. That I remember the cube. The cube is a big plays a big role in the Avengers movie. Steve's in love with Peggy Carter. Steve sacrifices himself by dropping this plane into the Antarctica. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in there. I'm keeping that in. I don't care. I don't care. Look, I've been going, I've been trying to get through all this information. Uh, it's you're hard. doing a great job. He gets frozen for 70 years. Uh -huh. Wakes up to Nick Fury. This is the sad part. Nick Fury's like, You've been asleep, Cap, for almost 70 years. You gonna be okay? Yeah. Yeah, I just. I had a date. Oh, yeah, that part's really sad. So, those are the five films. The five films. I, films. I might cut this because it's not audio, but I created something to help you understand this. <laughs> Folks, what he has created is... <laughs> it's a timeline. <laughs> it's a timeline of all the movies. <laughs> well, in phase one. In phase <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. The six movies comprising uh, Marvel's Phase One. They're all different colors. Well, the lines show you which character moves to which franchise. Sure. So, and if you notice, there the colors. Um, it's like a visual shortcut for you, yeah. so you know no, the colors yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. match the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know why it's so funny. It was just like the shit. The shittiest graphic. <laughs> the kids were like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like a Word document. <laughs> he opened it up in Microsoft Word. How did you even do this? 
Oh, yeah. You right click on the <laughs> image and you have to like drop behind the text. That took me a while. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good. Maybe I'll post this too on Instagram. Oh, so, so freaking funny. So when you're listening to the podcast, there's like a nice visual element to help kind of tie it all together for you. Yeah, you'll 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 want to see this for sure. <sighs> so the Avengers film is the payoff to this long form buildup. This kind of long form narrative had never really happened in film history. John Favreau himself stated that the struggle was it would be hard because with the world of Iron Man, Iron Man is a very tech based hero. And with the Avengers, you're going to have to be introducing some supernatural aspects because of Thor, mixing all these different worlds that work very well in the comic books, but it's going to take a lot of thoughtfulness to make all of that work and not blow the reality that we've created. It's funny because like now I'm just like, I just sort of accept that they all come from different worlds in the same universe. I was not sure if this was going to work because that was something that was so refreshing about the first Iron Man was it was so, they take so much time to explain how he built the suit, how it would all work. So mixing all these elements together, would they even fit? Would this just be the biggest misfired pile of shit? Yeah, we're going to find out it wasn't though. The year is 2012. Barack Obama is president. Number one song on the chart the weekend this came out, We Are Young by Fun. Tonight, we are young. Okay. I'm just going to throw out a couple other like. Wow, I am in 2012 now. I got my colored jeans on. I'm ready to go. She's back. She's got her Gwen Stacy bangs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to throw out a couple 2012 phrases to help. I know you said you're there, but I really want to just like, I don't want you moving from this spot. Okay? Great. Yeah. Gangnam Style. Okay. Mitt Romney. Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> Instagram. The Walking Dead. Oh. People saying YOLO. Courtney, I just spent a really long time detailing the humble origins of one of the most important film franchises ever created. You sure did. Do you feel like you're ready to watch The Avengers? I am so ready. Do you have any questions? I have zero questions. You have answered every question I could have possibly had. Let's go. Yeah. Let's watch it. Assemble. That's what they, do you know they do I that? I know that's what, that's a, that's. Okay, <laughs> let's go watch it. And we're back. A mere two and a half hours later. We've just finished it. <laughs> Courtney, what did you think of the movie? I liked it. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah. Uh, let's unpack that. I don't think it's going to be my favorite, but I enjoyed it. It was nice to know where everything came from with like what else I've seen. And So how much of this even surprised you or was new information It was just kind of like a refresher. I was like, oh yeah. And now that I've seen the other ones, it was like, oh, the Tesseract. Oh, yeah. You know what that is now? Yeah. Except at the time, I don't think they intended it to be necessarily like an Infinity Stone. Oh. Because what's inside of that is now, is an Infinity Stone. The one of the six, right? Right. I'm making like a motion with my hand, like yeah, a glove. Yeah, he is. I don't think this was the case, too, while they were making this. Loki's staff, the little jewel at the end of it. Do you remember like the staff that he has? Uh-huh. That's also an Infinity Stone. Oh, well, don't give it away for everyone listening. Look, they know. <laughs> What are the Infinity Stones? They are, it's based off a... No, no, no. What are, what actually, what are they? So one's the Tesseract, one's Loki's Infinity Stone. Yeah. At this point in the series, you've only been introduced to two of them. So you're not going to tell me what else. Should I, should I explain, should I, as we continue, let you know when we meet others? Okay. They are definitely making up things as they went. In fact, I think Marvel kind of gets 
a little too much credit for having these grand plans and having everything really laid out. They do plan out, but they deviate from those plans as necessary all of the time. And in fact, going through these phase one movies, it's kind of weird to see where some of the characters are at and where some of the stories were kind of going and how differently they actually ended up, including this. So the Tesseract was just like a thing. It was just, uh, do you know what the term MacGuffin is? No, but I, it's just like a device to move the... Yeah, it's just something that people are after. And okay. sometimes it can have an act, actual practical application or sometimes it's just a thing they want. Like in Pulp Fiction, they wanted that briefcase. Okay. And so the MacGuffin in this movie is the Tesseract. Loki wants it. The Avengers have to get it back to. Got it. keeps it. like trading hands of it. Got it. And, I, and then retroactively, they were like, hey, we could make that one of the Infinity Stones. They're called the Infinity Gems in the comics. I don't know why they necessarily changed it. I guess stones just sounds better. Sounds less corny. Yeah. Okay, but for the most part, you liked the movie. I did. It was weird watching this having... This is the first time I've rewatched this movie since Avengers Endgame last year. Mm-hmm. It was weird that... How many times have you seen it? This movie? Oh, man, so many. Oh. <laughs> And it's funny watching it now because at the time it felt so, it, there was such a magic in seeing all of these characters share the screen for the first time. Yeah. And I remember thinking, being sitting there in the theaters thinking what I was seeing was like incredible and not believing that it was working as well as it was. I was like, I can't believe this movie is, I they're, can't they're believe pulling this off. This. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like, I don't know, maybe a train wreck, maybe just fine. But the fact that it was actually really fun was crazy but it's weird looking back now eight years later yeah eight years they've expanded the world building in the marvel movies so much since this movie and they have developed the characters so much more from this movie that re-watching it i was poking a lot more holes in it in my head <laughs> and i was really realizing that some of the characters felt so much more two-dimensional in this movie like who captain america hawkeye for sure because mm -hmm. hawkeye has nothing to do other than just get kind of get brainwashed and then join him for the finale yeah captain america seems so two-dimensional okay so there's only a handful of characters i think that are even that feel even really developed in this movie iron man Iron Man, Bruce Banner, and I actually quite like Natasha Romanoff, Scarlett mm -hmm. Johansson. Even though I feel like she does get a lot more depth added to her in later movies, Joss Whedon, I think, really did a good job of making her feel like a well-rounded character in this movie. Yeah. Not only having them all share the same space on screen was cool, but just having them interact and clearly be sharing the same world together. Loki as a Thor villain. But hearing the word Loki in Captain America's mouth, that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> Up until that point, every superhero kind of had like my own little sandbox. This is Spider-Man. These are Spider-Man's villains. This is the X-Men. These are X-Men's villains. And that had all had to do because of the rights and how they were separated. So hearing certain comic book characters refer to each other. Like there's the part where Captain America fights Loki in Germany and then Iron Man shows up. Yeah. And it's the first time Iron Man and Captain America are just standing next to each other and they just acknowledge each other and they don't really like each other. Mr. Stark. Captain. Wow, I didn't even realize that was Germany. Did they ever say that? They do, yeah. They said they're in, Stut in Stuttgart. Oh, I didn't even notice. That's why, that's that's like the meaning of that scene when he tells everyone to kneel. And then the one guy stands up, he's like, Not to men like you. <laughs> there are no men like me. There are always men like you. Oh. 
that was a big thing that I missed. <laughs> I mean, that could that could be meaningful. Like that makes sense to happen anywhere, but yeah. I feel like there's a special meaning for it to be like in, in Germany. Germany. Yeah. And that's why when Captain America shows up and he says, "You know, the last time I was in Germany and saw a man standing above everybody else, we ended up disagreeing." I thought oh, he just was like, oh, last time I was in Germany. No. <laughs> He's just name dropping. He's, yeah. he, I, I, I travel a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know those people. Yeah, that's actually something I think the movie does really well too is the dialogue, for the most part, has a really good energy and like crackles. And yeah. that is all from writer-director Joss Whedon. Do you know, have you heard that name before? Do you even know who is that is? Is he the guy that did Felicity? No, that's, I think that's J.J. Abrams. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> He Wrong was, franchise. He was also involved in a, a movie franchise yeah. that made a lot of money. Joss Whedon. I know you've told me about him before, but go on. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, That's yeah. That's his baby. And then Angel is a spinoff. Oh, you love Angel. I do love Angel. <laughs> <laughs> that was my show in my teen years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared to revisit it because I think it might just be, kind of might be shit. <laughs> and, like the production value of it, but... Uh, that holds you a special place in my heart. Yeah. He also made a show called Firefly, which only ran for one season. It was kind of like a futuristic Western with Nathan Fillion. If you ever see any lists of TV shows canceled too soon, it's always in the top three, if not the top show. It was on Fox and they just, they aired the episodes out of order. They didn't even air the pilot, the first episode, and they didn't do any promotional material for it. And it only got really big when it came out on DVD, and then people discovered it that way. Anyway, imagine being like, "I'm gonna watch a series," and then having to go to Blockbuster and rent it. DVD or boxes. Ne Netflix sending one DVD yeah. at a time with four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I only got into Netflix when it was clearly a streaming product. Yeah, me too. I was talking about going to Blockbuster and like renting. Oh, but what, my friend, I remember him getting the DVDs. Yeah. When I that when that's my all the service did was. That. Yeah. Wow, your parents ahead of the curve. I know they loved Netflix. No kidding. Yeah. Weird. They loved to rent one at a time or two at a time or whatever. Oh, it was. I would be maddening now. We're just about to finish season one of Ozark. Imagine after finishing it being like, well, now I got to wait a couple days for season. Two. Not even that. Imagine finishing the first four episodes of a season and being like, well, I got to get that next oh, disc yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So people really respected him within the industry. I feel like he's kind of become a bit more of a troubled figure now. Okay. He's had some accusations. Oh, boy. But most of his professional career has been TV shows that are more cult classics, appreciated in smaller groups, and then maybe get canceled. So this was like his first swipe at major success, and it was... I mean, it was huge. And he had written a lot of, he'd written a bunch of X-Men comics. He'd, his name was always kind of thrown around when people would be talking about who should adapt this movie. And like, he'd always was kind of in the contention to do like some X-Men movies. He was actually one of the, he did like a script pass at the first Toy Story. Oh. And same with, he did a script pass at the first X-Men movie. So he was like kind of a well-known quantity behind the scenes and in like smaller circles, but this was obviously huge yeah. for him. So they brought in Joss Whedon. They'd already had a script and he just threw out the script. He rewrote the script entirely. I feel like his lasting imprint on these movies as they go move forward, what people kind of call Whedonisms, where it's very quippy. I think this one, re-watching it, it was a bit too much in some places. People don't actually talk like this. Like they don't already talk like this anyway, but sometimes you're going too far back and forth jokiness. 
Venus. Yeah. But that's kind of his like staple is witticisms. That was already, I feel like that was already in the DNA from the first Iron Man movie, but he really kind of like now that's what people associate with the Marvel brand. Yeah. He also was really instrumental in creating like the friction and interplay between the characters, which I think is key to making this movie work. These people don't want to be a team and they don't get along. And the tension of the movie isn't if they'll beat the bad guy. It's if they'll get along and be able to become a team. That's interesting. The emotional climax of the movie is when they all decide, okay, we're going to work as a team. Because even after that point, that final battle, there aren't really stakes. Yeah. You never, did you ever worry? I mean, you, you know oh, what happens no. to these characters, but like, would you have ever worried like, is someone going to die? No. I feel like that's just like a victory lap at that point. But the, the emotional like core of the movie is, is, are these people going to get along? When they're on the ship and they're fighting, particularly Iron Man and uh, Captain America. Yeah. And then something hits the ship and they all like jolt and then they start working together. You know, you may not be a threat, but you better stop pretending to be a hero. A hero? Like you? You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. Put on the suit. Let's go a few rounds. Put on the suit. Let's find out. I'm not afraid to hit an old man. Put on the suit. Put on the suit. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, I think my favorite scene in the movie is they the way they bicker back and forth. The dialogue in particular in those scenes really crackles and they're just going sniping back and forth. That is so much more interesting than a lot of the other conflict in the movie. It is a signal to all the realms that the earth is ready for a higher form of war. A higher form? You forced our hand. We had to come up with something. A nuclear some... deterrent. Because that always calms everything right down. Remind me again how you made your fortune, Stark. I'm sure if you still made weapons, Stark would be neck deep. Wait, wait, hold on. How is this now about me? I'm sorry, isn't everything? I thought humans were more evolved than this. Excuse me, did we come to your planet and blow stuff you up? Understand you treat your champions with such not trust. She was really what that naive. Shield so monitors potential threats. Captain America's on threat one. Whedon does a really good job in pairing interesting characters together. Yeah. Another really great pairing of characters and watching them play off each other is when he has Black Widow go to interrogate Loki. Oh yeah. And oh, that's great. so Whedon gets credit a lot with writing like strong female characters like back from Buffy. Like even mm -hmm. the idea of Buffy was he wanted to play on the, the trope of like the, the horror girl, the scream queen, who's like the last one alive. What if you had like this like small petite blonde who was actually the one that was hunting the vampires basically? That's been kind of like his calling card, I guess. Hmm. And he does a good job writing, I think, Black Widow. That scene where she like tricks Loki into revealing what his plan is, which is to release the Hulk is interesting. You're a monster. <laughs> oh no. You brought the monster. So, Banner. That's your play. What? Loki means to unleash the Hulk. Keep Banner in the lab. I'm on my way. Send Thor as well. Thank you for your cooperation. I love this, like the early scenes when they're setting up the team. I feel like I'm just talking this whole time. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Uh, what did you, what did, did you like it? I what did. did you, okay. I, yeah, I did. Keep going. I, I kind of want to get your take on this. Okay. I think the first 15 minutes of the movie are pretty rough. I would say they're not good. At any point in the beginning of the movie or at any point where you kind of like, I'm checking out. I don't really like this. I don't really like where this is going. This is pretty generic. Yeah, a little bit. Not like, I wasn't like checked out. It's just kind of like very generically like, I knew that I, they were setting me up for like, what the rest of the movie was because mm -hmm. they kind of have to. 
There's really no way around that because there's so many characters. The first section where Nick Fury shows up and when Loki shows up, that whole thing, I just feel like this isn't working. Like there's a lot of really, they have to really like front load the exposition of like what the cube is, who Loki is, he has this army now. All these things coming at you, it's a lot of the least interesting characters. I don't love Maria Hill, Hill that's Kobe Smulders character. I don't like, I never really love Kobe I, Smulders. I don't either. I think she's pretty miscast in this. Anyway. Who, who would you cast? Someone with a bit more, honestly, charisma. That sounds mean. No, she's, she's, that's exactly her thing. That's, that's like every part she plays is kind of like that. Kind of just like a wet blanket. Well, it was kind of like, dare I say. The line reading she had for every line in the movie was the least interesting version that line could have been said. It's yeah. how I felt watching it. I've seen this so many times, so I've had a lot of time to really like analyze. Well, she was in Captain Marvel, wasn't she? No. She shows up in later movies, though. She usually, she's kind of tags around with Nick Fury. But this is her first appearance in the Marvel films. Okay, this movie. right. But once you get into the character introductions, when they start bringing in the actual Avengers, then the movie starts really gelling. I really like the two early scenes with Black Widow where she's being interrogated and then they hand her the phone call. Yeah. And then she beats the shit out of everyone. Yeah. I actually think that's a great action sequence too. Yeah. They give Scarlett Johansson some of the best action sequences. Mm -hmm. I just love, it's really inventive hand-to-hand -hand fighting. But then when she goes to collect Bruce Banner, they play really well off each other. And the dialogue is just really well written. Who did you really like in the cast? And who did you think was pretty I think you're right. Boring? I think Captain America's kind of boring in this one because you're just like, okay, we get it. There's nothing to him besides, I'm a soldier. Yeah. Which is kind of just, it gets so boring. I actually, I kind of feel like Whedon, I don't really like how Whedon writes him in this one. or So Whedon did this one in Age of Ultron, the, the second one. I don't really love how Whedon writes Captain America. And I think he gets much more interesting in later movies. But in this one, his he really only just is just barely woke up, right? Yeah, fish out of water stuff. I do like I do like that they kind of give him his moment at the end where he is the leader of the Avengers, and that t that part where they all come together. Yeah, you love that part, huh? It, yeah, because the whole question of like, are these people going to work together? That's the payoff right there. There's the money shot that shows all six of them together, and then you have Stark saying, "Call it, Captain," which is like his way of handing it over, and he just gives everyone, he finds like the perfect use of everyone's abilities. Those are great moments where you show like he is a really capable leader. All right, listen up. Until we can close that portal, our priority is containment. Barton, I want you on that roof. Eyes on everything. Call out patterns and strays. Stark, you've got the perimeter. Anything gets more than three blocks out, you turn it back or you turn it to ash. Can you give me a lift? Right. Better clench up, Legolas. Thor, you gotta try and bottleneck that portal. Slow him down. He got the lightning. Light the bastards up. You and me, we stay here on the ground. We keep the fighting here. And Hulk. <sighs> Smash. I know, you love it. I, well, okay, this is something I had to remind myself too. We've seen, the Hulk has been very well used since this movie, I would say, in other movies. But up to that point, you'd had movies where the only emotional story for the Hulk was Bruce Banner's sad and the Hulk is angry and uncontrollable. And so this was the first moment where you saw any kind of like conscious decision-making from the Hulk and working as a good guy with a team. So like all that was very new and very fun. Mm. And just watching him just smash it up. I remember the movie just watching it in theaters thinking, I can't believe this is working and I'm having so much fun watching this. I'm really glad they gave Captain America this hero moment because I think a lot of the movies leading up to this, whenever there was a Boy Scout type character, he always kind of got short shrift. For the much more popular character, who should always kind of be best left to small doses, 
The worst offender is like the early X-Men movies where Wolverine was always given the spotlight because he's a very popular character. But he's popular because he's the badass rogue. And they always gave Cyclops, who was the goody two-shoes leader, he always kind of got like shuttered to the background. And it was because Hugh Jackman was the breakout star of that first X-Men movie. So they, mm -hmm. they definitely tailored all like the sequels to focus on him and his star power. I was just really impressed that they actually, instead of making this like the Iron Man movie that happens to feature other Avengers, they really did give Captain America his moment to really be like, he is the leader of the Avengers. And even going into this movie, Robert Downey Jr. in his first conversations with Joss Whedon, he was like, hey, I'm the star of this. You need to like open the movie with me. And Joss Whedon basically was like, no, this is going to be an ensemble movie and it's going to work. Just trust me. Well, that's a weird thing for him to say. It makes sense only because Iron Man was a huge success, one and two. Thor and Captain America weren't out yet. And so he was the proven commodity and oh. he was he was the popular one. And even I, when I would watch the trailers for the first Avengers, I was always like, I don't know how much I care about these other heroes. I mostly am going to see this because when you saw, I like Iron Man. When you saw the trailer, had you seen... Captain America and Thor yet? Yes, because those came out summer of 2011 and the trailer, first trailer dropped when I was in DC that fall. They have some estimates of what the salaries are for some of the characters, which I thought you might think is interesting. Mm -hmm. I'll go in order of least to greatest. Okay. Wait, can I guess? Yeah. I'll tell you this. Chris Evans, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner. They're given like an estimate between like this sum and this sum. But I'll just let you. I'll just let you guess. But they're all. They, those are all roughly. They had the same salary in this movie. Okay, two million. Yeah. Whoa! I really guessed that. They each estimation is between two and three million for each of them. I'll give you the next one. Who made more than them? Samuel Jackson. Sure. Guess what he made? Six million. Are you kidding? Well, it's estimated four to six. So yeah. Okay. How much do you think Robert Downey Jr. got paid for the oh, Avengers? Oh, twelve million. 15 million, 17 million, 21 million. <gasps> For those at home, Jason just keeps pushing his thumb higher. Yep. 25 million, 30 million, 45 million. <gasps> 50 million. 50 million dollars. And everyone else made two to three million? Yeah, because... He carried it. I mean, he didn't really because all these other people ended up being fan favorites and really breaking through. But oh. at the time, it's amazing he was able to negotiate that kind of a, a payout. From this one movie? Well, he knew that if he walked, the whole thing crumbles. He understood how perfectly they needed him. Wow. Can you believe that? As we continue to watch these movies, you will, I think, be dumbfounded by how much money he ends up making from all of these movies. You know, I can't even imagine what $2 million is like, so I agree. I probably will be. 50. He made $50 million. Over 10 times as much as all of his co-stars. That is crazy. I know. You know what? They agreed to it. You know what I mean? Like, good for him, I guess. So what are the three acts? There's the beginning, the setup. I would say it's like, since there's so many characters, this is kind of like the way they do. The first act is all introducing the characters, bringing everyone up to speed and setting up the plot of the movie, right? Which is Loki's in town. He's trying to get the cube. We're assembling these people. Mm -hmm. Act two is all on the ship with Loki in the chamber. And then he disrupts everything. And if you follow like the three act structure where like act two is like something really bad happens, the low point, Loki blows up everything, gets out and he kills Coulson. Oh yeah. That part's really sad. That's actually another little Joss Whedon trademark, I guess. Is he kills. He kills 
feels characters people love. And so you're almost kind of looking for it. Like, I like love this character and I'm now I'm really worried he's going to kill them. Was it just, was uh, Coulson only in Thor? No, he's in the first two Iron Mans as well. He's in um, Iron Man 1 and 2. You mean he's an Iron Man? You happy with that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he has a much more expanded role in the first Thor movie. And that's obviously the the event that sets into motion everyone kind of corralling together. This is loosely based on the very first issue of the Avengers from the 60s, which was Loki unleashing the Hulk. And a lot of the Marvel heroes have to band together to stop the Hulk. Hmm. And so Loki was always intended to be the first, the, the only villain. They kind of toyed with throwing another villains because they were like, is he going to be enough, a worthy adversary for all of these heroes? He's kind of like, he's not really scary. At least this is what I think. He's kind of more annoying in like, like a Draco Malfoy kind of way. That's just like, God, freaking guy. Did, did you did you think he's effective as a villain? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I definitely think he is. You're just annoyed by him. I go back and forth on whether I like Tom Hiddleston in that role. As the sh like the movies progress, I actually think he gets he's better in it as Loki gets more nuanced. Yeah. He just sneers a bit too much. He kind of he kind of overacts in this one a bit. Oh, yeah. Probably intentional. I didn't notice that Thor, until you, oh, until we you talk were about... talking about Kenneth Branagh, and then I really yeah. noticed it watching this movie. That they all... How, like, Shakespearean it is. I know, yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's how they are in their comics, too. Okay. They speak that. That's. I think that's kind of why I never really connected with Thor growing up, too, because I just thought it was... Bore, kind of boring. <laughs> inaccessible. Yeah. Yeah. The movie was a huge gamble. They hadn't quite perfected their an assembly style line way of making movies now where they have it so well planned out in such a well-oiled machine that they can have one movie in pre-production, one being filming and one being ready to release and they have they just follow the schedule. And because of that, they were filming the Avengers before Thor and Captain America had even come out. And so Feige talks about, you know, what if people hated Thor? What if people thought Loki was ridiculous? What if people didn't buy this super soldier frozen in ice? There's a chance that people reject Thor and hate Thor and Captain America, but they've already been making the Avengers. <laughs> That's interesting. That's scary. The gamble that they took on Iron Man and on the Avengers and how paid off in their favor is it's just weird there's so many what ifs of like how easily it could have gone a different way and just been like a generic movie yeah so cleveland doubled for new york but then they sent photographers for eight weeks to take pictures of the new york city landscape and this like four by ten block area and then they digitally recreated new york drop it in on where they were they wanted the battle they were in to feel actual streets in new york it's shot in a weird aspect ratio i don't know if you I know noticed that. about them you know what an aspect ratio is nope if it's more rectangular or more square most movies are shot in 2.39 by one so like very rectangular and I feel like it evokes a cinematic feel when you see movies like that. And now, well, now we don't really notice it because all of our TVs are widescreen. Mm -hmm. This movie was shot in 1.85 by 1, which make it, makes it much more square. People kind of criticized it at the time because they people were saying it kind of just feels like a very high budget episode of TV. And I kind of agree with some of the criticisms. It kind of just makes it look less cinematic. It's the only one that's filmed like this. Even when Whedon came back for the second one, he filmed it in a more traditional aspect ratio. They chose that because they, they wanted to showcase the varying heights of all the heroes, but also when they fought in New York, they wanted to really have the framing of all the fighting be very like much taller and focus mm. on that but no i don't think it would have made a difference to me <laughs> that's good i do i am just thinking about though remember in like movies before every tv was widescreen picking full screen or widescreen i was a widescreen person 100 percent. i know that With... you weren't <laughs> i wasn't i didn't like the black sometimes we'll go to watch some dvds that you bought 
and you always bought full screen. Can I tell you why I was bought into widescreen from the from the jump? Why? Because I owned the Phantom Menace on VHS. VHSs, I don't know if you know this, they always automatically made them full screen. All, oh. all full screens like this where they cut off the sides to make it a square. I didn't realize this until I bought, I had, I was watching a DVD of The Phantom Menace and I realized in one of the fight scenes something happened off screen that I was cool that I hadn't noticed. I was like, what the hell? I've been missing so much of this movie. <laughs> now it's not even a question because all of our TVs are that way. Yeah, and the black is gone on top of it. Do you know I read that they, films in like the 50s switched mostly to wide screen because they wanted it to feel different from that's when having it owning a television was much more mainstream and people had television sets in their homes they wanted all the movies to be like oh we're filming in widescreen cinema scope so you and you have to go to the theaters to get that experience uh, you don't get that on your tv at home it's clever visual effects how did you what do you think did they hold up they look okay yeah they looked fine 14 different effects houses worked on this movie Mark Ruffalo performed motion caption on set with all the actors when they had like the big fights and he's he was there on set with all the dots being the Hulk he reacting with them. smashing. Yeah. Hulk's face was modeled after Ruffalo's. The Eric Bana and Edward Norton one didn't really do this and mm -hmm. I feel like it was really effective to have him look like Mark Ruffalo down to his eyes, teeth, and tongue. Tongue? Yeah. They adapted his voice along with a couple other people and Lou Ferrigno who played the Hulk in the 1970s live action TV series. Oh. Did you know there was a 70s TV series? I did. You've told me that before. That had like a bodybuilder they would paint green. Uh-huh. Yeah. His name's Lou Ferrigno. He only has one line in this movie, which is when he beats Loki up. I am a god, you dull creature. And I will not be bullied by... Puny god. Oh, that part's great. The laughter in the theater when that happened. But I'm sure it was like a lot of like this. <laughs> That's so freaking funny. One of my friends, Alex Wankier, who I don't think listens to this podcast, he was there with me at midnight. He did not like this movie because of how annoying everyone was around him. People probably think I'm such a buzzkill, but there's a lot of midnight showing culture that is just mm -hmm. so obnoxious. Like, calm down. Like, we, we love it. We love it here. We're, it's exciting, but like, you've got to calm down. I would kill to go to the movie theater and be annoyed by someone right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would give anything for that experience would you though. would you one you really wanted to see we're at mulan and someone's just eating their food loudly and whispering and laughing oh, i think to go sit in a theater right now i can't wait to do that again at one point sony who were making the andrew garfield spider-man movies yes they had an agreement to put the oscorp tower in the background this is another thing like this where it could have gone in a weird direction so at one point it was maybe going to be in canon that andrew garfield spider-man would be in these movies but they'd already digitally recreated new york it was already done the rendering so they were just that just never happened there have been little attempts to be like let's bring spider-man in because spider-man's huge do you think that andrew garfield is just kind of like oh, man he's been open about how disappointed he is and how those movies i would be received. so pissed off because and he said that like he's He's, he's like, I'm a, such a huge fan of this character. He's like, I'm a little brokenhearted. Yes. Yeah. You know what? And not to mention, he would have made so much money. I love Tom Holland. I love him. But I also love Andrew Garfield. I know. I, and I, I feel bad for I him. I don't. He and Emma Stone are so great in those movies. Emma Stone. <laughs> <laughs> people love to shit on those movies, but they are so good in hey, them. Hey, I of all people know, remember? Alan Silvestri did the score. I think such a colossal missed opportunity with these movies is no one really has a really good recognizable theme. I think the Avengers theme is pretty recognizable now. You were humming it the other day. 
I know, but I always get it dun, mixed up dun, with dun, this. Don't, 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 I always get it mixed up with this. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that's Lord <laughs> of the Rings. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> I always get it mixed up, and I never know which one is which. Oh my gosh. The Avengers one is. I don't even know now that it's such a bummer that none of the characters in their own solo films had really interesting or very like honestly good music like, yeah. the music is all serviceable in all the other movies music is such a good way to like combine elements in franchises Mu a musical cue in a franchise is sweet when that force theme plays yeah, in any Star say. Wars movie or the Han and Leia yeah. or like you haven't seen these but when the Rocky theme plays in the Creed movies it is such like it can mean so much and it's a bummer that they didn't have really distinct themes that could have all tied together Together in these team-up movies. I just, it's just a, it's a missed opportunity. It's kind of yeah, a bummer. Yeah, that is a bummer. Oh, I forgot to mention this. When we were talking about how the Hulk thrashes around Loki. They it's had, literally like that. They had tied a rope around Tom Hiddleston's leg because he's pulled off screen. They gave him his whole speech and then they didn't tell him when they were going to tug the rope <laughs> so that his reaction would be genuine. That is scary. <laughs> I know. What do you think about Pepper Potts in this movie? She's cute. She's a lot cuter than Gwyneth Paltrow, in my opinion. She is I don't so think, much fun. I don't fun. think anyone's going to disagree <laughs> with you on that. It is weird because I don't... I personally do not love Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. I don't dislike her. Sure. But I just... I wish that Gwyneth Paltrow was Pepper Potts. Just a little Gwyneth more like... A little more down to earth, would you say? Down to earth. She's a lot of fun. She's nice. And she and Robert Downey Jr., their chemistry is yes. just, it's amazing. It's, it's so good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. And I think he gets probably the best monologue in the movie, which is when he goes to threaten Loki. That's what he jokes about. He's like, I'm not yeah. stalling, I'm threatening. Yeah, that part's great. And gets to like, basically like give the tagline of the movie, which is like, The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. Yeah. Takes us a while to get any traction, I'll give you that one. But let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, living legend, who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, big fella, you've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Oh, I thought the Beast had won it off. You're missing the point. There's no throne. There is no version of this where you come out on top. Maybe your army comes, and maybe it's too much for us, but it's all on you. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. It's so good. I love it. The, the dialogue, Whedon did a great job. I can't believe it that he yeah. pulled it off like this. The after credit scene. The first one with our boy. Thane Thanos. Nailed it. I, did. I almost didn't, but I did. This is an example of what I was talking about where they're pretty flexible about if they want to like go a completely different direction with where the entire franchise is going. They just kind of threw that on as an afterthought. What is Thanos doing there? In the Within the context of the narrative of the movie? No. What's he doing with Loki's boss? Is he well, like a soldier? Will we find out more? You will. Okay. But that's where the reveal is Loki's boss was actually reporting directly to Thanos. Oh. And that Thanos is the one that gave him the scepter and he's the one that had the army that he's like, you can take my army and invade Earth. Oh, that's Thanos' army. Yeah. Those things are sick. Oh yeah, you... I watched maybe a third of the end. 
battle. Yeah, you couldn't do it. You're not so much bugged by the little guys as more of the, the big worms. Right. They're like sea creatures. Walk us through what you hate about it. Anything that looks like scales or... And like, sometimes I can get over it if... It's entirely mechanical, but then huh. they cut the belly of it and it's gross, disgusting. It's like fleshy. I could not handle them. And the teeth, I closed my eyes for so much of it because I just could not. I will say it's awesome when that thing is running at them and Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk and punches and stops it with his punch. <laughs> you also said that. I think you love like one big thing punching another thing because Ant-Man turns into oh. huge Ant-Man. Oh. <laughs> Even bigger than Hulk, right? Yeah. Well, He's technically giant man in that scenario. Oh, okay. I just think that's so funny when he just decks him right out of the air. That is so cool. We'll get to those movies in like four weeks. <laughs> yeah. So Whedon wanted to throw something fun at the end of the movie and he pitched, what if we put Thanos there? This wasn't like a grand plan of like, we're building up to this, the Infinity War saga and like yeah. Thanos' story. He's like, let's just throw Thanos there. And if you look at him, you wouldn't notice this. But like the design of Thanos is completely different than what he ends up being. Is that Josh Brolin even? No, Josh Brolin wouldn't be cast for another like two years. Wow. They changed Thanos' like backstory later on in these movies. His deal in the comics is that, and this is where it gets to the point where like comics are so weird. Like when you get really deep into like the mythos of some of these stories, Thanos wants to get the infinity stones, the infinity gems in the gauntlet, destroy half of all living creatures. The physical embodiment of death is a woman and he is doing this because he thinks it will impress her because he's in love with her. That's Thanos' deal. And so the line at the end of the movie is when the guy, the guy that Loki's reporting to, he says, you know, we should stay away from Earth because like they're, they just kicked our asses. To challenge them is to court death. And then that's when Thanos turns and smiles. Oh. But they completely changed his whole backstory and motivation. I, I think for the better, they make it more interesting. Yeah. Some people think it's less fun. They're like, that's the campy part that people like about comics. Yeah. That like, there's the physical embodiment of death Thanos is in love with, which, I... and she's indifferent to Thanos. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I've read this comic book story. Yeah. It's, that's it's fun. Interesting. It's yeah, fun and campy, but yeah. I mean, that's not really that weird if you think about all of literature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is like it's, kind it's of It's pretty like, out there and very, yeah, yeah, very goofy. The 70s were weird. <laughs> the other end scene credit they added was them eating the shawarma. I've never had shawarma. Have you had shawarma? Yeah, it's really good. So apparently that line of the shawarma line, Robert Downey Jr. improvised. Because I guess his line he had before was something kind of generic. And he's like, wouldn't it be funny if, you know, after he's like wakes up from putting, putting the nuke up there. Yeah. He just was making up stuff that he thought would be funnier. Yeah. That end scene of them eating shawarma, it was added months after they finished shooting the film. It was shot on April 12th, 2012, a day after the world premiere. Chris Evans was wearing a prosthetic jaw that covered the beard he had grown for a different movie. <laughs> so if you notice, he kind of is sitting like this with his hand rested on his fist. You don't see his face. And they just shot it very last minute and threw it on before it like was released in all theaters. That's funny because it had a very big impact on my life in 2012. Because everyone was talking about shawarma? Yeah. All right, so this movie premiered May 4th, 2012. It grossed over $1.5 billion worldwide. At the time, it was the third highest grossing movie ever, just behind Avatar and Titanic. Critically and commercially, one of the most successful movies that will ever have been made. It's fun for everyone, but like people like me who grew up, there was such a drought of good comic book adaptations in the 90s 
Seeing this on screen, it was like a dream come true. It was mm -hmm. so much fun. Just watching my toys fight each other. <laughs> One of the lasting influences, everyone after this movie wanted their own cinematic universe. Everyone was trying to ape the Marvel formula. It's crazy, no one has come anywhere close to the success of Marvel. Every attempt to do this has not even come anywhere close to Marvel's success, which is, it's just weird that they've been the only one to really do it. Mm -hmm. And no signs of slowing down. Okay, who is your favorite character in the movie? Um, Black Widow. I really like her. Yeah. His favorite's probably Loki. Really? Yeah. My favorite, I think, is probably Iron Man. And then, honestly, maybe Maria Hill. With, yeah, or with Hawkeye, it. but I like him so much in the next one. Will you rank the six Avengers? Yes. Hulk is number six. Hawkeye is number five. Thor is number four. Okay. Captain America is number three. Iron Man is number two. And Black Widow is number one. I love it. What was the most engaging part of the movie for you? Maybe that scene where they're fighting on the ship. Or when they get on the ship. I also like that. Oh, yeah. I love the ship. <laughs> you love that helicarrier. It's so freaking cool. You just turn to me and you're like, that is so awesome. When and all then, the turbines oh, and it lifts so up in the air. cool. Well, I love like planes and stuff. And then they're like, oh, you're going to want to put on your mask. And he's like, is this a submarine? Really? They want me in a submerged pressurized metal container? And then it lifts up and he's like, oh, no, this is much worse. That's part is great. Yeah. <laughs> what part were you least engaged? The end for sure I didn't. I don't like big fights. Were any of the action sequences engaging to you? Yeah, I like any of Natasha Romanoff's. One last question. Who had the best costume? Um, uh, Cat, uh, Iron Man. His does look good, doesn't it's it? It's so cool. Every time he steps onto the thing, it's so cool. People really shit on Captain America's costume in this movie it, specifically. It kind of sucks. Especially because no one's really wearing a costume except him. I and, guess Thor. And his is like the comic book, like completely visualized and brought to life. It's, yeah, you're just like, what? Um, okay. I liked it. You ready for more? Yeah, ready. Let's go. Uh, Courtney, if people want to reach the podcast, where? Uh, they can find us on Instagram at Wife Watches. They can find us on Twitter at Wife underscore Watches. Uh, no, at the underscore. Uh-huh. They can send us an email at MyWifeWatchesMovies at gmail.com. Absolutely. Okay. Watch you later. And remember, there was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more, to see if they could work together when we needed them to to fight the battles that we never could. This is gold, okay? What do you mean? Whatever you did, I don't know. I don't know what I did to deserve this. <laughs> did you wonder what I was doing for a couple hours at work today? <laughs> you were doing this for a couple hours? <laughs> I had to get the colors right. This is a good, this is some good work, Bishop. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs>